Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. He takes being cook to a whole new level. These students can't afford to feed themselves. Do the best you can for your child. And you look around for support and there's nothing there. Just get up and do our best today and that's all you can do. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion mine with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. 0818 996 996 96 96. Uh, I will find out, get a legal opinion. <laughs> very shortly as to whether or not this news from Europe from the European Court means because people will ask that question does it now mean that a convicted murderer could walk free? Does it mean that Graham O'Dwyer, the convicted murderer Corkman, could walk free even though he was convicted of the murder of Elaine O'Hara? We will find out more very, very, very shortly but I do want to go first of all to look the crisis in childcare and I'm going very very quickly to our first topic of conversation this morning because the crisis in childcare has taken another twist this morning. Elaine Dunn, the chair of the Federation of Early Childhood Providers joins me again on the opinion line What has happened Elaine? Good morning to you Good morning PJ So um, what we see is a big flaw within the new core funding for ECHE only services um, they will receive no extra funding whatsoever. And in actual fact, a lot of them are receiving a lot less. So on speaking to the department, um, what we're hearing is that they will bring them up to what they are already on, but there's going to be no new funding for these services. So with, the, with everything, the rate of inflation, everything going up, these services are going to run at a loss. So they have not been included properly within the core funding. So it's a huge claw. There is over 1,900 ETSHA services across the country mm. in rural and urban Ireland. ETSHA services and are what again, Elaine? It's a term so obviously there the one, So yeah, Okay, so it's a term that's used. But what it is, is these uh, services, settings that are open, top quality services that take children in in the morning for three hours. And they, they, we are actually educating the children. We're educators, we're teaching. OK, mm. it's like when they're getting ready, we're getting them ready to go into junior infants um, into school. Um, and in these settings, you have a lot of the staff would be level seven, level eight, level nine. OK, within these settings. And these people now are going to lose out. And a lot of them are going to end up closing their doors because they do not have sustainability. And it's a big flaw. As we say, it's the big stop. We have to stop this from happening. We can't allow these services to close their doors. The government and the department need to listen to what we're saying. We are trying to educate TDs across the country. We are lobbying and, and sending out letters to TDs. All of the providers are doing that. And 
we're getting some responses back, but we are actually getting a lot of generic ones. We don't want generic responses. You need to listen to what we're saying because this is going to impact parents and children. Mm -hmm. And these lovely services are going to be gone and you're going to be left with big, large services who do not have the places for the children. Because the minister came out a few weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, Minister O'Garman, and he announced this 220 one million euro and lovely wrapped up in a big ribbon. We thought that's an awful lot of Mm -hmm. money to put into a service. So did we. But but the small print (laughs) services will actually be forced to operate at a loss. Absolutely. And they will bring them up to what they're on already, which isn't enough. It never was. We have been screaming for more funding to be put into these ETSI services for many years. So ETSI services have been they've had a 7% price increase, pay increase from the department in 12 years. These services do not charge parents. They are not allowed to charge any um, uh, extra to parents whatsoever. So therefore, they are now not a viable business whatsoever. So on meeting with accountants and different people, they are being told that they would be crazy to accept this deal. And now they're starting to close down and they're giving notice to parents that they're closing down at the end of June. Mm. And that we, the bigger settings cannot take these children in. There are not places. We know there's always already a crisis within um, the childcare, that there are no places across Ireland. And there's then, a huge issue with that. And because of this, there'll be there'll be even fewer. Elaine, I will come back to this over the next couple of days. We hope to speak to some childcare providers. But that is big news this morning from childcare. This uh, funding announced by the minister three weeks ago. Generous funding. But as Elaine and her association says, look, it might look generous, but on the face of it, it's not really that generous at all because our members, our federation will be operating at a loss and many of them will have to close by the summer because their accountants are saying you can't. It's just not sustainable. We hope to come to some childcare providers in Cork over the next couple of days. 0818 96 96 96. I am back with Blackwater Motors today. We'd fun with this yesterday. They have an event this weekend, their annual demo and used car event with over 500 cars to choose from across the Volkswagen and Seat range. Starts Wednesday, open till Sunday, 12 to 4 at Forge Hill, Formoy and Skibbereen. A voucher every day for €250. Euro, and then on Friday, we'll upgrade one of our daily winners to €500. Euro. I'll give you the audio a few times during the morning. Just tell me, who is this particular motorist? I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to like I was bullied as a kid. All right, who's that? I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to, like, I was bullied as a kid. That's another easy one for today. His name and yours, please, to 083 396 96 96. Now, the judgment has come in the last hour from the courts in the EU, as predicted it would, because the there was an advisor to the EU issued an advisory a few months back, and it looks as if, it looks as if, the European Court of Justice has handed Graham Dwyer the keys to leave prison. That's how it looks. Legal expert Owen Odell joins me. Good morning. Owen, we've been following this for a Good while. Good morning. Is it possible? People will want to know three, one of three possibilities this morning. Graham Dwyer, could he walk or is he going to stay in jail here as a result of this ruling? This ruling this morning means that Graeme Dwyer is 1-0 up at half time. 
Okay. But there's a lot of there's a lot of the match to go before we can say that he has won the match. And anybody who follows any uh, any sport knows that the halftime score is important, but not the final outcome. Now, put the it court in plain English on what people, yeah, what the court sure. has told us. The court has told us um, two things. First, that um, uh, instructing telecommunications companies, mobile phone providers, things like that, to retain um, mobile communications data um, on a general indiscriminate basis is contrary to European law. And secondly, therefore, the Irish legislation that allows for that retention is invalid as a matter of European law. So those are the two key findings. And what that means is Graham Dwyer can now say that can now argue that the um, uh, use of that kind of um, mobile phone data in his conviction uh, is invalid. Now, all it says is he's got the space to make that argument. It doesn't say anything about how strong or successful that argument is likely to be. The court has said that that is a matter for national law. Mm. So it'll come back to the Supreme Court, which referred a series of questions to the Court of Justice. And then once the Supreme Court has handed down its final decision, um, uh, the matter will so that the matter will then go. It's a procedurally messy case in Ireland. Yeah. The matter will then go on appeal from his uh, criminal conviction to the Court of Appeal. So yeah. all he now has is the ground to make the argument okay. in the Court of Appeal that the evidence shouldn't have been admitted. So just the next question then is, yeah. how strong will that argument be and will it be successful? Yeah. And the answer is not very strong at all, actually, in the general scheme of things, because uh, illegally obtained and unconstitutionally obtained evidence is not automatically excluded. Yeah, isn't there so something important the, about it, Owen? Just sorry. for a second, because I wanted to go sure. back to yeah. this. The guard, the detective operation, and there've been books written about this that that ended up catching Graham Dwyer. Mm-hmm. Am I right in thinking that as at the time that the guard, the detectives, were collating his mobile phone data and using it to pinpoint his movements and pinpoint pinpoint and and make their case for the murder, they believed that they were operating within the law. So the guards did nothing wrong here, but the law under which they were operating was flawed. Is that the point? That is the point, and it's, um, uh, that, that's putting your finger on it exactly. That will be the question that the Supreme Court and then the Court of Appeal will have to answer. Um, the, uh, the fact that the law is invalid doesn't automatically mean that the um, uh, telephone uh, evidence is excluded. Um, if they were acting in good faith and uh, inadvertently um, uh, obtained the evidence unconstitutionally, it will probably be admitted. Um, and so you have to look at the timeline. The timeline here is very, will become very, very crucial. Mm-hmm. Um the, the 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 murder the, the 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 sad murder was committed in August 2012, and uh, Elena O'Hara's body was found in September 2013, and that's when the investigation began, and that's when a lot of the harvesting of the telecommunications data will have started. But the Court of Justice in April 2014, in a case from Ireland, 
uh, told the European Union that this kind of traffic data retention on foot of which they had obtained the evidence was invalid. And the trial was until January 2015. So there will be questions around those two periods, September 2013 to April 2014, when they did a lot of the initial investigation, and then April 2014 to January 2015. So that will be the first question, whether they were inadvertent in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then the second question will be, even if this evidence is excluded, there's a whole range of other evidence independently of it, on foot of which the state will argue that the conviction was safe and satisfactory. So there's a long way to go. This is simply giving him an opportunity to make an argument and nothing more. He's 1-0 up at half time. There's a long game and possibly extra time and penalties as as, as we look ahead. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Orna Dell from Trinity College School of Law. So he's 1-0 up at half time. That's probably the best way to put it. Uh, Graham O'Dwyer, 1-0 up at half time in his efforts to uh, walk free from jail after the murder of Elaine O'Hara. We shall follow it with great interest. 0818 96 96 96. Something else that people have been following for months now, in fact probably for a year or two, is an ongoing shortage in hormone replacement therapy or HRT. People put on a gel or they use a patch or they or many other ways to take various different hormones uh, for the treatment of menopause, but not just for the treatment of menopause, for the treatment of perimenopause. And there's a shortage. And what it has led to is many, many women trying to get their medicine from their pharmacy, not being able to get their medicine, so the symptoms of menopause start coming back. And sometimes these women are a lot younger than you would think. I've been talking to Jess, who is only 30. She won't be 31 until later this year. And uh, Jess uses HRT, and she at the moment has been struggling to get her medicine. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Every year, Cork people share their stories to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by their amazing bravery. If you need a light to shine in. 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And I'll be there. Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Send to email radiothon at 96fm.ie. Email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Women all over the country uh, who have menopause symptoms are suffering because of a lack of HRT medicine. This is medicine that they must take every day or use every day to keep their menopause symptoms under control. And if they don't get to take it, those symptoms come flooding back and there is a shortage of hormone replacement therapy medicines the health products regulatory authority says ireland faces shortages in several different medications and say there's been an unexpected increase in demand that's their answer 
for why there's a shortage. And many, many people are affected, including some very young women, like Jess. Jess, you, you'd be exceptionally young to be on uh, HRT. and you, you have your own reasons for that. But there is a huge shortage out there. Start with your own case. Like, why, for the benefit of listeners, why are you on HRT in your early 30s? Um, I suppose in my case, I underwent a radical hysterectomy at the age of 27. Um, unbeknownst to myself, I'd actually been in menopause for about six months before that surgery took place. Um, and that wasn't, that just wasn't caught here, unfortunately. Um and obviously since then like the first thing like what I actually left the hospital with um in London was a prescription for HRT patches and painkillers so like in it's different in the UK as opposed to here at home you like you're armed with your HRT prescription when you leave hospital that doesn't seem to be the case for a lot of women that I've um met over the last year or two since I kind of went into it yeah um but that kind of explains why I suppose the other the other um, nuance there as well, PJ, is that I'm going through a surgical menopause because I have no ovaries. So not only am I taking estrogen, but I'm also having to take a small dose of testosterone mm. um, because the ovaries make testosterone. Now, I would have considered myself fairly educated about my health before this, and I never knew that. So, you know, that's been a big wake-up call to me, and it does make a huge difference. Now... Jess, if you personally can't get your meds, what happens and how quickly does it happen? So I suppose with the testosterone, um, which to be fair, isn't in short supply, um, that's something that you'd notice it after two or three days straight away. You would just have a huge energy slump and the brain fog would come back. But I suppose with the oestrogen, because like I rely on um, four doses of that a day, um, if if I miss one dose even during the day, I get I get a like it, it's almost like a cluster headache. Which look, if it happens to you once, it's almost like a reminder not to forget your meds again. But after I suppose kind of a week or two, um, your bones will start to ache. You will be you'll really suffer with brain fog. Um, you can be extremely agitated. Um, I know for me it causes a huge increase in my anxiety. Um, you like obviously look everyone is different I know for me I get a lot of um, I'd get a lot of uh, headache symptoms I'd obviously get the hot flushes back um, and a few other a few other symptoms as well that would be generally associated with menopause fairly debilitating then the point you make as well is while you are very young for this there are other young women for example who go into perimenopause the premenopause in their early 30s Oh yeah, like the youngest I knew was about 33. Um, sometimes they say it's associated with having a child kind of in your early 30s. It can kind of preempt perimenopause. Um, but like I think there's, I think there's a view out there that menopause is something that affects women from kind of 55 upwards, and that wouldn't be the case. You know, you have different stages to menopause. You also then have women that have things like. Um, just you know, a premature ovarian failure, mm. uh, disorders like that, or they might have really aggressive endometriosis that's targeting their ovaries and you know is causing damage to their ovaries so that they're not producing the hormone they usually would. Yeah, there's so many different reasons for why they might need it. Now, talk about the shortage. When did you start to notice it yourself as a user? 
Um, so I suppose I started on HRT in October 2019, just after the surgery. And I think the first shortage occurred in, um, I think it was actually January that January of 2020. So it was, I suppose just before the lockdowns. Right. Um, and like, you know, I was told at the time the shortage uh, is due to stockpiling after Brexit, which look, it made sense. So what I was able to do at the time was I had a family member working in London and he was able to get a prescription for six months from my surgeon in London. Um, and he was able to fill the prescription and bring the the six months worth of HRT back and I think I I did that twice and by the third time of needing to do it the shortage had well it seemed to have abated here and that there was there was a a, a reasonable flow of HRT again but I suppose the the newest shortage now kind of started in December um now there was a shortage on patches which I was on and then I switched to a gel form um and the gel form started to run out within the last kind of two months really I think it was mm. um, and it's just been like I, do you know what I, I actually don't even have something to compare it to because I've never been without a medicine before like, like you live in Dublin now Jess there must be any number of pharmacists or pharmacies around you where you could take your prescription would you have a problem finding finding your, your stock? Um, I would. I actually, in fact, it was Friday. I tried three or four different ones on Thursday, just on my lunch break on work. And then Friday morning, um, I rang, I think it was about 20 different pharmacies, um, including some of what you would think, you know, the some of them were pharmacies that were uh, like chain operated. So you'd think now they would be able to get a stock of a drug like that in. Um, most of them didn't have it. And some of the ones that did have it were keeping it for their own regular patients, which is totally fair enough. Sure. Um, but yeah, 20 different pharmacies. And are you running short now? Yeah, I'm down to, well, I was down to my last quarter of a bottle. And I suppose, look, in a quarter of a bottle, I think there's normally about... 12 pumps left that would only get me three days and um, now fortunately one of the pharmacies that I rang on Friday um out in Kulak Bonnybrook pharmacy it's actually one of the independent ones they were able to source a French version of the gel that I use the Easter gel which is the one that's like you know I, I checked the HPRA website on Friday to see if there was an update on the shortage um and they're saying that it will be corrected by the end of April. But this has been going on since January. You know, in January, they said it would be fixed by the end of February. Hmm. February, they said the end of March. March is saying the end of April. Do you know? So this is just something that's kind of continuing. Like, Yeah. Now, in terms of medication for chronic conditions, ongoing conditions, if I suffer from, for argument's sake, arthritis, uh, and I can't get my meds or there's a shortage of my meds, there's any number of other things I can take until my stuff comes in. Might not be the best, but it'll work. Not the case with HRT. It's quite specific. Yeah, it is very specific. And I suppose, like, that's why... Like the reaction to it has kind of it's angered me a bit because I I think there's a lack of understanding there still. Like as you said, like I'm I'm actually on um I I use uh, salpidol from time to time, and if I run out of that, as you said, there's any number of things I can take as well. Mightn't work great, but they'll work until I can get my prescription. But with HRT, it's so sensitive to every user. It's 
you you can't just switch to a different gel. Do you know what I mean? Like even 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 the way that I switch from patches to gel, like the absorption rates are different because different people have different bodies. There's no such thing as a generic version of HRT. There's different types of HRT with different brand names, but it's not like going into Boots and getting the Boots brand. You've got to get your prescription, get your meds so that you could take them your way. Now, I, w- I was listening to oh, the, the expense involved as well. Like when you got your stuff in the UK or someone got it for you, that was free from the NHS. Not the case here. Well, actually, it actually wasn't free from the wasn't NHS. Wasn't it? So I had to go private for my surgery because I couldn't undergo the surgery here. So I was actually seeing a private surgeon in London. And I remember when he gave the prescription, he said, look, I'm really sorry, but this isn't covered on the NHS. And I kind of thought, God, like, what am I going to be caught for here? It was £60 sterling for six months worth of patches. It's €65 Euro here for a month's worth of patches. Crikey. That's a huge difference and it's not all tax. That's colossal. I take it it's all covered on the drugs card where it's capped at 80 euro a month. No, not all of it. Um, there are certain types of HRT that I use that aren't covered by the by the drugs payment scheme. Now, fortunately for me, the Easter gel is, but there are other, there's like I take four different types of HRT and only two of them are covered on the drugs payments card. Like this, this just gets more and more complicated. I mean, as a young woman who needs this medicine every day of your life, do you feel a bit hard done by? I do, PJ, to be honest. And I suppose, like, you know, like, and uh, you know, granted, my situation is a bit different from other people. I had to leave the country for my surgery to have it done with a robot that is 15 minutes from my house here because I couldn't access it. Yeah. Now, that was bad enough, but I've made my peace with it. But to now be in a situation where I can't source, I can't source my medicine, like, do you know what I mean? And one thing that really annoyed me about it was it like there is this this kind of attitude from the HSE that like you know just take a generic or take something similar to it but there, that that's the thing with HRT there's you can't replace hormones mm. with herbs do you know what I mean? You can't like, and do you know, I think that's one thing that's really misunderstood about it. Like you wouldn't leave someone without their warfarin. You wouldn't leave someone without their beta blockers. Yeah. So why would you leave someone without their HRT? Like I, like some women are having really debilitating side effects. I know one woman in particular, um, a good friend of mine, she actually presented to St. James's recently with stroke-like symptoms because her HRT, because she'd had to change the type, her body didn't absorb it properly. Crikey. This woman was incredibly ill-like. That must be be terrifying for her and all those around her. Somebody made the point on another radio discussion last week, Jess. If we were talking about Viagra here, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Now, it sounds a bit twee, but would you agree with that? I would agree with it, PJ. You know, I suppose like we're now at a stage in Ireland where thankfully medicines like that aren't a taboo subject anymore, except for HRT for some reason. You know, like why are they, why are they kind of, oh, sorry, PJ. You see, this is it now. I lowered my dose on Friday and this is what happens. I just get the brain fog just descends down over me. That's okay. That is okay. Jess, you have outlined it very well. We're going to have to try and find out from pharmacists what is going on and why. Uh, but uh, but thank you for painting a picture of what it's like to be stuck without essential daily medication. Cheers. Thanks. 
Okay, that's Jess. Um, so, pharmacist Connor Phelan uh, joins me. Connor, listening to Jess there, I mean, she's very young. She's exceptionally young for this. But a lot of women going through agony at the moment because of this shortage. Why is it happening? Good morning. Uh, hello, PJ. Yes, absolutely. It's very distressing for a lot of women. So, uh, the, re- the, main, the I think there were issues around, around um, uh, Brexit back in 2020, but the more recent problem has been the... Uh, there have been some manufacturing delays, but mostly the issue seems to be in relation to the increase in demand. For example, the uh, Easter dot patch, which is a commonly used patch, the demand has increased by over 100% for some strengths of that in the last two years. So I think the company's manufacturers have been just having real difficulty keeping up with the with the demand, and it, that's causing these intermittent supply issues. So one brand goes out of stock temporarily, and then there's a bigger demand for another brand and then that runs out and it's people are switching to gels and the gels run out and back to patches so the whole industry just hasn't caught up it's probably been exasperated by the whole COVID situation How, how so long is it likely to take to catch up though Connor? because it's only a matter surely of going back to the manufacturers and going back to the distributors and saying we need more and lots more and we need it now yes. Uh, I mean, I, 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 have, I have a sense that we're, we're, we're through the worst of it and by, by, by the summer that things will be okay, just from what I've been reading around. For example, again, just referring back to the Easter Dot uh, patches, there was a letter issued from them in March. And what they said is they will have intermittent supply issues until mid-July. The, the alternative brand of Everell patches is freely available now, so that one is available. So uh, with, with the Easter Dot, uh, I can currently get 50 strength and 100 strength, but I can't get the 37.5 and the 75. Okay. But I don't know how many of those strengths I can get because the supply is limited. So this is the kind of problem pharmacists are having. So, I mean, pharmacists generally would be solution-focused and we'll do our best to uh, mm-hmm. to sort out any customers and contact their, their prescribers and try and find yeah. a suitable alternative when we can't get them. And we, we do try really hard to get supplies for our patients, but just sometimes the supply isn't there, unfortunately. There, there seems to be, though, no perceivable shortage in, say, Turkey, Spain, Portugal, other places like that. Um, yeah, well, perhaps they have different different manufacturers manufacturing over there that aren't licensed in these countries. I know the problem is not unique to Ireland. I know yeah. it's, it's, it's certainly in the UK as well. They, yeah. they, they've been having similar problems. But, but Novartis uh, are here in Cork, Connor. They are. They are. Yes, indeed. I I, I accept that. And and and, and I, I don't actually know if they manufacture the, 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 that particular product in Cork. But um, yeah. So look, they 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 they're working on. I I I I all. If it's of any 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 reassurance. There has always been some product available. It hasn't been that there's been no product available, but unfortunately it's been different brands and sometimes different methods of administration, which I know is not... It's not a great place to be, and I know it's very distressing. Cost also something that Jess brought up, that when she was first prescribed it in the UK and and her consultant was almost apologising, it wasn't available on the NHS, and yet it it cost her less than a tenner a month. Um, Now, uh, Sterling, now she's paying €65 per month here, and an awful lot of it not covered under the drug treatment programme or the drug card. A lot of fingers so, need to be pulled out here, Connor. I think. So, so a lot, a lot, a lot, what might be happening there is perhaps the product she's getting is uh, what they call a sort of an un, an exempt uh, product or, or, or uh, yeah. a, a non licensed product, and, and they're not covered under the various drug schemes. That is correct. Uh, obviously, if the product is covered under the drug payment scheme, then there's a maximum charge for uh, any family of eighty euros a month for the medications, uh, and on the medical card, it's usually uh, uh, one one euro fifty per per item. Yeah. 
that a customer would be paying. So without knowing the exact details, uh, I, I, I wouldn't know. But I know that pharmacists certainly wouldn't be making uh, a big markup or anything, and sure. that would be just a small prescription fee applies uh, sure. to, uh, to what we supply. Something we'll come back to, no doubt, Connor. Uh, people grateful that we are speaking about it. And thank you for your time this morning. That's uh, Connor Phelan, pharmacist on the shortage of HRT. As Jess says, herbs are no substitute, but I find evening primrose oil helps me uh, to mitigate the current situation sometimes. Maria says, I got my HRT in Spain, 10 euro a month. So glad you're talking about the lack of HRT meds. I've been searching for patches first, couldn't get them. The doctor then prescribed gel, grand for a while, now I can't get it. Now I'm going to the spray Each time you switch, you have to get the doctor to send in a new prescription and you can only get it one month at a time. It's all very upsetting. I'm going to Spain on Friday and I can get it over the counter. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Takeover on Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories with Thunderland at Creamfields Tremor Road. Open every night until 10 pm with free supervised parking. See Thunderland on Facebook for more. Corks 96FM. Remember the first time Santa Sergaro was on the opinion line? It was last year. She was the Caribbean dub who'd started giving out budget advice on Instagram. Now, for goodness sake, she's on her own television program with Connor Pope called The Price of Everything. How did all that happen? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> it's needed now, I think, but what what I speak about so more than ever, as you know yourself. Yeah. You're with Connor Pope on the price of everything I, every Thursday. I am at seven PM. Yeah, looking at the price of stuff. Like for example, you were saying recently about asking people on Instagram how people were coping with electricity bills. Yeah. Um yeah, PJ, to be honest with you, I got really emotional because, you know, when you're researching stuff and you're look, you're coming up with hacks or trying to find tips and tricks to help people and see what the, bo- the underlying problems are, it could be really easy to say it's a stat, you know, it's only a statistic. But some of the replies when you're hearing, like, you know, a family and they have two young kids, sorry, I just got really emotional reading that. It's okay. And they can't heat their house, you know, because they're paying 1300 Or another family who's paid 1300 on oil between um, September and now. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you keep up with that? Yeah. And I just, for me, it actually made me feel so out of touch because... I was there, but it was 2018, and after that, I've made sure, you know, it's been a priority for me to make sure that I have a little cushion for all these things and cut back, you know, live frugal whenever I have to. But it just highlights the fact that so many people, you know, they're just not there. 
Yeah. And it, it's, 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 it's re- you can't help but being down. And I'm reading through them. I couldn't even reply to some of them because I was actually shaken. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a huge, huge problem. And we see the, the messages coming in here every day. Like yeah. People making the decision, do I, do I cook a meal or yeah. do I heat the water for a bath? Yeah. That's a choice nobody should have to make. Honest to God, no one. And I know, like, I'm very emotional about it because I, it's, I literally, I said, oh, guys, I said last night they were coming in so fast. And I said, look, I, I have to log off now. But I'll read in the morning. And it was like, you know, in the quiet of the night, people just feel, I'll just say it, you know. And they're not asking for help as in, oh, you know, give me money or give me this. They're like, how, what else can we do? Yeah, people are really, really struggling and really, really suffering. And like you did have your own struggles where you had to get your debts down and get them down fast and, and you discovered things to do. Is there anything that people can do with these big ESB and gas bills? What what Would you have one well, tip? Well, one thing I would say is a few people have said, oh, I wouldn't want to switch now. I've been with such and such for such a long time. I think it's now time that we start looking at, as our health, at our household like a business. Yeah. You know, it's home economics and really look at running it as efficiently as possible. You can't be loyal to a company right now. You need to be loyal to your budget. You need to be loyal to getting in your electricity prices at the lowest there is out there. You know, yeah. externally, there's a lot we can't do. And, you know, one tip I was saying, I was even saying about LED bulb and people were, yeah, I know they were saying, oh, God, we couldn't afford that right now. Get an envelope, get a tin. And if you have 50 cent, two euro, make that your LED bulb. You know, there's little things you can do when you're boiling the kettle. Mm. Only boil enough for one cup of tea. That's all you're having. Don't boil the whole kettle. It's tiny little changes that we can do that it won't eradicate, you know, inflation yeah. and what's happening out there. But at least you'll see, you will literally see if you're tracking it, that it's bringing down your energy bills bit by bit. Yeah. Another good one someone was telling me, and I actually haven't tried this because I don't drink tea as much, but I know, you know, Irish people love their tea. So, you know, you get a thermal flask and you, you boil it and you yeah. fill it up with water for the day and you you literally have your cups of teas out of that. Then you're not, anything that you have to heat up as in a kettle or oven and you have to wait for that to heat up, that takes energy. So we're trying to get away from that as much as possible. And, you know, get get a onesie. If you have a onesie, get your onesie on you. Get your jumper on you instead of being there in your T-shirt, you know. Yes. And and turn that heat off and use it sparingly. You know, that's it's, it's sad, but that's what, thankfully, we're going into, you know, it's getting warmer. But in the nights, it's still very cold right now. Yeah. So... It's just, it's just, and, and I've been right at that point where it was me and the two kids, you know, we, we had to sleep, we slept in the same bed, in the same room because we we're trying to conserve energy yeah. and conserving our heat because it was a choice of getting Eliza formula and heating the room, you know, or heating the house. So yeah. I, I've been there. I just feel that for, to a certain point, when you get free of that, you kind of forget how, how, 
hard it actually is out yeah. there. And I think that's probably why I was triggered a little bit oh, um, reading. It would have brought back memories for, for yeah. yourself, you know, and the whole thing about having a little cushion. That's yeah. the problem. People are already emptying Stretch. that cushion. Now. Yeah. So many people have said, we're using our savings to pay our electricity bill. Like, yeah. it, and I can't help but thinking that, you know, the people that are making the decisions, are they, are they in touch enough to see this? Are we are we in touch? Are we seeing what's happening here? Because these are real people. This is just a small Instagram page. This is just one radio station. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're coming in to us every day, as I say, simple choices. Yeah. You know, do I yeah. do I heat the house on a cold night or do my children have a hot dinner? And you know, I do a lot of budgeting and at the start I always say the first family I do for a family method so I say the first family that you look after which is categories is your wall families it's your four walls around you this is your food this is your utilities I'm not I'm talking about your basic utilities electricity gas this is your housing this is your transport so you can get to work and if you're struggling with those that's yeah. where we're talking poverty here, like, yeah. and you know, you might not think that it's happening in Ireland because, you know, we're in the EU and stuff. It's it's happening. This is what it is. When you can't look after your basic needs, yeah, that's a whole different. That's a different situation. We're not talking about getting a coffee in the coffee shop or, you know, not having your four holidays a year. We're talking basic survival needs. And what's more, Santos, you know, there was always there's always people who are poor, just yeah. purely out of misfortune. Yeah. There, but now we've got people where there's at least one, if not two, half decent jobs in the house, and they are still struggling. That's 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 one. That's a lot of what I am getting. And you know, I always say to people, you know, go and buy the yellow sticker sticker items you know when you're in the supermarket don't be afraid to not buy them you know my meat I'm telling you now I'm on an RT show and it's very good but my freezer is full all my meat are yellow stickers yeah. you know yeah. that's just the way you have to do it sometimes yeah and if, yeah. if that's the way that helps us that's the way we'll do it yeah Santos we'll talk again um, you, you still have the dream to live in Cork, I think. I do, I do indeed. Right. In the country. Oh. Well, hopefully that will happen for you sometime soon. And thank you for speaking with us. You know, it was great. When we talked first, they said to me, oh, she's very, very nervous. She's never done radio before. And look, at you, look at you now, you're on the telly. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening. Santos, <laughs> lovely talking to you again. That's Santos O'Gara. O'Gara. The Europe, the Caribbean dub, um, but Instagram budget coach, now turned TV presenter. Uh, she's co-presenter of The Price of Everything, which is an RTE one Thursdays at seven. Herself and Connor Pope from the Irish Times. And this week in the programme, they're going to be looking at the cost of transport. And there's an interview with Eamon Ryan. You'd wonder what they'll get out of that one. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. The Titanic Association, the British Titanic uh, Society are having their conference in Cove, this weekend. It's the first time in their history that the British Titanic Society has actually brought their annual get-together to Cove uh, across this particular weekend, of course, such a significant weekend. It's the 110th anniversary of the Titanic this year. Uh, There's some tickets left for their annual dinner, their gala dinner at the Commodore Hotel uh, Saturday evening and I've been talking to David who's the head of the British Titanic Society we'll let you hear that on the programme tomorrow but they have a fascinating weekend of events and walks and talks and lectures and tours they have a museum set up at the hotel for the weekend and it might be nice to be there Saturday night if you're uh, looking for something to do some tickets left five course dinner uh, a lot of talk about the Titanic of course and, and a few beers while you're there so if you're interested you can go to the Commodore Hotel and get your tickets there for that 0818 96 96 96 remember last week uh, Mick Barry TD was on the show here talking about the cost of revision courses at colleges like Bruce and not so much the cost to them although he wasn't complaining about that but the terms and conditions with regard to refunds if you get COVID for example We've been working on that one behind the scenes with Bruce College in particular. And we have a statement from them, which I'll get to you in a wee while. And just before I move on to our next topic of conversation, remind you, I want to know who this is. This is our Blackwater Motors competition. Who is this celebrity motorist? I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to, like, us bullied as a kid. Okay, who is that? His name and yours, please. 083 396 96 96. I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to like us bullied as a kid. We were talking about electricity and bills in general with Santos before the news there and the sheer cost of energy and electricity and how upset she was when she went on Instagram last night. She said, here I am now with a good salary and a good income and I'm seeing all the people suffering like this. Um, because of the cost of electricity and the cost of heating and all of that. And you'd wonder, what is the alternative to the way we currently get our electricity? Could we go solar? It's the big thing. The more houses you pass now, the more solar panels or photovoltaic solar panels you see on roofs. And in new houses in particular, they're kind of becoming part of the standard issue. You get a couple of solar panels on the roof uh, with the hope, I guess, that it takes down the cost of, of electricity. You wonder, does it actually work? I'll get to that in a sec. But John in Cove says, I was listening to that lady on with you now straight away. It reminded me of what Eamon Ryan of the Green Party said, that people should be taking less showers. 
Who is he to tell people from that from his near mansion? What does he know about people's circumstances, medical afflictions, relationships? He just decides that people need so many showers a week. A bit like Phil Hogan said he would turn down our water to a trickle if we didn't pay bills. I said it just, I'll say it again, people should be out demonstrating about this. Well, John, that is as it is. But let's look at the topic of solar power and solar panels and all of that. Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish Indo. Adrian, you've been looking into this in quite some detail of late uh, and the big question is you'd be laying out a bit of money will you make your money back good morning good morning you will be quite a few years making your money back depending on how many solar panels uh, you put up so for a normal household family household uh, if you wanted to cover you know say half of what you normally use Mm. Uh, in terms of electricity, you probably need to put up something, certainly over 10 panels, tw- maybe 12, 13 panels, something like that. That might get you to 50% in a day, in a week or a month where there's a decent amount of sunshine. Okay. And mm. um, But that's going to cost you, you know, upwards of 10 grand. And if you add a battery on top of that, so a lot of people will go for a battery to store the mm. solar energy for nighttime because the sun doesn't obviously shine at night, so therefore you have no electricity at night. So they'll get a battery. Batteries start at about four or five grand extra. Mm. So your a neighbor of mine, for example, went the full hog. He put 18 solar panels and a big battery uh, in, in his house and cost him 18 grand. Now, he's. I don't think he's going to make that back for... 20 years maybe 15 20 years to be fair that's not solely the reason he's doing it i mean he kind of believes in um in sustainable energy and he's not a fan of you know using oil or gas anyway so that's another motivation for him to do it but if it's strictly money you'll be quite a while making it back do you get grants you do you get grants uh, i think it's it depends it depends on how old your house is um, so my neighbor, I live in an estate which is, which is built in 2015. So we don't get many grants for mm. solar panels. I think it's if the house, I think it's before 2011, one of your callers might correct me on that, but mm. it's, it's aimed at older houses, but the grants, uh, you know, go up to several thousand euro and it's a kind of a scaled process. You get a certain amount for this, you get a certain amount uh, for that. It's, it's from the SEAI and um, mm. not completely dissimilar to putting something like external insulation on your house. It, it, you, the more you do, the more that you uh, you get back mm-hmm. in grants. And to be fair, the installers will usually take care of that for you. Right. So you, you might be looking at a bill of, say, you know, 11 grand to put in your solar your, your system, uh, or 12 grand, you might get couple of grand in, in a grant and the installer will generally handle that for you. Right, so they do all that heavy lifting, you just yeah. pay them yeah. the balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't get a whole pile of sunshine in this country, um, but now the photovoltaic cell well, maybe kind of takes care know. of that. <laughs> yeah, no. The photovoltaic yeah. cell kind of takes care of that. In that it, well, yeah. it does and it doesn't, right? So, I was talking to a lot of people who have put in solar panels on their house. Now, we just had two weeks of really good sunshine in the country. Um, and one or two of the people I was talking to, they were basically getting their electricity for free um, for you know several of those uh, days. 
But as soon as it clouds over, as soon as it rains, it's a very, very sharp drop off. I mean, the panels that you get these days are more efficient than they used to be. But anything that blocks the sun is going to mm. um, is going to interfere to the point where you might have, let's say, a dense foggy day. And rare enough, you'll get almost zero. I mean, you're like under 10%. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, and, and then, by the way, there are other factors as well. So, you know, obviously a south-facing roof yes. is the ideal scenario. Yes. Yes. But, but, it's, but you can get, it, it's decent enough facing east or west. You'll get about 70 to 80, 70-75% efficiency if it's east to west. But it also depends on the pitch. It also depends on the angle. So you know, for example, that in the wintertime, the sun is lower, right? Yes. So you might have a south-facing roof. If you have a steep uh, uh, south-facing roof, that's going to get more energy out of the sun in the winter, but it'll get less in the summer. You're caught at both ends. I also think in terms of, and particularly older houses, putting Mm. all of these panels on a roof, would Mm. you have to make sure that the roof can take it first? Oh, yeah. Oh, you would. Now, to be fair, most roofs can. Now, you know, unless you have a thatched cottage, right? I mean, most, most normal slate and tile roofs can take solar panels. But absolutely, that is part of the installation process. Like, most people are not going to be doing this themselves. They're not going to be hiking up on a ladder, you know, with a nail gun and, and, and wiring it up themselves. They're going to be getting a professional installer, and that's part of the basic mm. due diligence. They will have a look at the roof and say, well, look, yeah, this is fine. In most cases, it's totally fine. In some cases, there might be a damaged roof or there might be some other issue, and they'll identify that, and that's kind of up to you to rectify before the panels are put in. Yeah. But um, no, but in general, most roofs are fine. If you have good solid joists in the roof and and all of that, you should be okay. Yeah, I mean, by the way, it's not just on your roof. You can uh, put them, if you have like a field or if you have a back garden or if you have a shed or if you have a fence, there are quite a couple of farms in rural areas that have put solar panels on the fence pointing both ways. So it might be an east-west, it might be a a fence that goes north to south. So therefore the sides of it are facing east and west in either directions. And they'll put the solar panels on the fence um, to catch the the, the light that way. In terms of maintenance, Adrian, because they're up high and like you say, you're not going to be scaling up and crawling across the roof. Like you have to keep these things clean, don't you? You you do. Now, in fairness, because they're at a slope on most uh, roofs, um, they're going to be kept relatively clean just by the the by gravity. So they're they're like and they will be rained off. Now every now and again you might need to check and make sure that there isn't dust or grime. It's may, it's more of a problem for flat roofs where uh, sediment can uh, can gather seagulls. Mm-hmm. You know that's an issue. You know uh, that that kind of stuff. But no, the maintenance on them is pretty minimal. Yeah. to be fair. Like, do they develop false? Can they just die like a battery yeah. on your phone dies or that kind of thing? No, it's it's very rare. And most of them come with some sort of a warranty or a guarantee. So because they are quite expensive. Yeah. So, you, you know, you're not going to be. Also, the other thing about them is it's very easy to see how they're doing and how much energy they're gathering and whether any of them are out. 
because you, you normally get access to an app on your phone, which right. will, you can literally just tap it and it'll show you, yeah, this yeah. is working or no, that's not working. And is it complicated in terms of, of wiring? Like, do you have to have loads of different switching gear and a different panel? What's the story? Does it mm. feed normally into the electric electricity of the house or what happens? You need a box called an inverter. And this is all part of a standard setup. So the, a solar panel installer will come out and they'll, they'll put in the, the, the solar panels on your roof and then they'll also build in what's called an inverter. And that's to change the electricity from uh, DC to AC um, for your house, for your normal electricity. Uh, and that's a pretty standard thing. That's not complicated. Where it does sometimes start to get a little bit more complex if you want hot water. Right. So... Um, and then you'll typically have what's called a diverter box or a diverter box. Now, there are a few brands out there that cost about five, six hundred euro. Right. But what that essentially does is that takes some of the power and it will heat your water for you. Yeah, which I guess in Just a way, two boxes. That, that's what yeah. they've used solar power for years, for example, in holiday yeah. apartments yeah. in Spain, because there's just yeah. a little thing on the roof. They've loads of they've loads of sunshine over there, water scalding hot yeah. 24-7. But they, 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 they do now. A lot of those are old fashioned solar panels that are, are sort of going, they're not really being made that much anymore. Yeah. They're thermal panels, right? So that's really only for hot water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas the new ones are for your electricity. So you want to boil the kettle, you want to watch the telly, your Wi-Fi, the lights in your room, that kind of stuff. Of course, if you want the lights in your room, unless it's in the daytime and you're blackout blinds, you're going to need a battery for that. Now, here's an awful Uh, stupid question, Adrian, but I know someone will ask it. So if you put all the 12 panels up on the roof of the house, Mm -hmm. we'll say, and everything is tickety-boo, and you're there in the evening and you're watching... Netflix, mm. and it starts getting dark, and you don't have a battery. Yeah. Like, do yeah. you have to go and flick a switch to keep watching Netflix? No, what happens there is it it crosses over naturally into your ordinary electricity. So, so the, the way these systems are set up, like, there's no way that they take they don't take you off the grid. You know, you're, you're this is part of your electricity gotcha. setup in your home. So as soon as there's no energy left in the solar panels or they're not sending energy, it just goes back to your I normal see. electricity. You don't you don't even notice it. But a costly enterprise, there are grants there, but you'd be a few years making it back. I think that is the, the general summation of it. Adrian, thank you very much. Adrian Weckler, tech editor of the Irish Independent. I'd love to know or hear from someone who has done this and can give me a breakdown of, of how much it is saving them, how much it costs them. Like if you're at home all day using the lecky all day and you've got the solar panels going on the roof and it's nice and bright and sunny, then you should be using pretty much free by day and only paying for nighttime lecky. But if you're out all day, the solar panels and actually a battery, sure, you're creating energy for the, for the birds and the bees. It's a thought though. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. If you're on TikTok and you're into motoring, you almost certainly have come across Bob Flavin. Uh, His videos take on all elements of motoring and taxation and fuel. And they answer listener queries, and he comments in his own unique way 
about things, for example, like public transport and buses. The moment you go outside the city environment in this country, you end up, well, nowhere. And I'm talking about people who just live just outside towns, just between two towns, even in towns. Some of these places are only served by buses that pass once a week. Some of them only once a day. Some of them don't even have a return bus to come back the same day. Bob, good morning. Morning, PJ. Weird listening to myself there. Isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking, how am I being commented on? <laughs> you know, well, well, I have to say, I, I enjoy the cut of your jib. As a motorist of... of 30-odd years now and paying the costs of it and really bothered at the moment by the price of fuel and the whole VRT nonsense still going on. It's nice to see someone talking straight about these things. We've had a few questions that have come in about um, what we might put to you. But first of all, how did you get started out of this? What's your background? I actually had a whole heap of normal jobs up until about 2007 and eight. most of them in the motor industry. So I was a parts man in the motor industry, did a bit of mechanic work. I'm not qualified mechanic, but did a bit of mechanic work. Um, did, I worked in every kind of parts trade and got all the stuff. And then when it came to 2008 and the whole world crashed, everybody was out of a job. I started a blog called Smokers Pack, which turned into the nextgear.com which then suddenly car companies ringing me, asked me to test drive these press cars. My first words were, what's a press car? But mm. it turns out a press car is, is obviously uh, the car that the press gets. And uh, it started in about 12 years later. Here I am, kind of you know, one of the biggest YouTube channels in Ireland about cars, huge TikTok account. It's kind of weird. It's a very strange lifestyle, what it is. But I created it from the ground up. Good, good man. Now, my first question to you, and then I've got some stuff that's coming from listeners, Bob, because we did plug this last week. So the government have said uh, repeatedly that they want us all, or at least as many of us as possible, driving electric cars by 2030. Can it be done? No, it definitely can't. Uh, first of all, there's a massive shortage of supply of car parts. So not just uh, battery electric cars, but all kinds of cars. There's all kinds of bits missing. So Russia is one of the biggest producers of aluminium in the world. Uh, Ukraine produces a huge amount of equipment for car companies, including all of the wiring looms belonging to Skoda. So everything has grown to a halt in production-wise. The sales you're looking at now that's currently there, like Ionic 5 will be the top-selling car this year, they had a stock of them. That's it. And then the next four cars are all Toyotas. Again, they had a stock of cars to be selling from. Most other car companies are, are struggling for supply. We would need to sell nearly 100,000 electric cars every single year between now and 2030 to achieve the targets the government actually wants to do. Plus, guess what? If you're driving a 10-year-old car, you own it, you have no payments to make in that car, you're going to have to get a loan to get the newer cars out. So you're going to get yourself back into debt again to get any of these newer electric cars because they're all pretty expensive yeah. unless you're, you know, plenty of money in your pocket. Even the small ones? You're talking 30 Even grand small, for a yeah. small car? Entry level, most of them start around 30 grand, and that's with the grants and everything on them. Like they're, they're not cheap. They're not a cheap investment. The, the more reasonable end of the market is like MG or Renault Zoe, those kind of end of the market, but that's still in the 30 grand, and they're quite small at that range. So mm. if you want the bigger ones like the Kia EV6, you're up there to 50, 55,000 euros. Yeah. There's a company in Wicklow we've heard about that claims it can convert or give you a kit to convert a regular engine, like a petrol engine into an electric car. Do you know about that? Can that be done? Yeah, you can actually do it. And there is kits available online. There's lots of guys 
across the world, you would kind of write them off as maybe conspiracy hippies or something who've been doing this for years. You know, they've been pulling old Prius batteries out of crashed cars and put them into other cars and they've been on it for a long time. But in Wicklow, there is certainly one. But again, the expense is huge because you still have to buy the battery pack, which is the most expensive part of an electric car is the pack. And it, like to get anything decent, you're talking about between... 10 and maybe 20,000 euros to try and just get the pack. And that's before you start converting your car. My dream is to take my 15-year-old Sayed Leon that cost me nothing to run now uh, and convert that to electric, which cost me even less to run. But it's too expensive. It's way more than the value of the car. Yeah, yeah. It is. A, we know that we've got to do something for the environment, but the electric cars, they're just, they're just too expensive for most ordinary families at, at the moment. As regards- it's also debatable, PJ. It's, it's debatable whether changing to electric is actually good for the environment. There is, there is a debate. Until we oh. start to generate electricity that isn't uh, peat-fired, coal-fired, gas-fired, until we generate the fuel in a renewable way, it's debatable that electric cars are not putting out the same amount of CO2 as petrol and diesel cars. And that's not being, I'm not on anybody's side. I don't care what kind of car you buy, but there's a lot of greenwashing going on within electric cars. There's a lot of idea that they're somehow brilliant for the environment when actually they're not really that brilliant for the environment. Everything has to be mined. Everything has to be processed. Everything has to be shipped. And then our particular electricity is getting pretty good. Last couple of weeks, we've been doing pretty good. We've been windy here and we've gotten a lot of wind stuff. But before that, very low, very, very low per month, how much we actually do for renewables. It will improve, but at the moment, it's debatable how much uh, CO2 is saved by driving electric. I see. Mm-hmm. Air yeah. quality, though, air quality is good. <laughs> as, as, yeah, There's no the, emissions. As regards uh, cutting the cost of, of fuel um, at the moment, like that excise duty cut a couple of weeks ago, that was swallowed up. I garage I was in, not far from me here, uh, the 15 cents came off the diesel, and then the 15 cents went back on the diesel. Probably in the same day. Well, <laughs> well they, they, they had the decency to wait a week or two. And and then he said to me, he said, the 20 cents that came off the petrol, he's hearing up the line, that could come back on the petrol again. Like, what the hell is going on with costs, Bob? Right now, we have the, the cost of shipping and the cost of where fuels are coming from. So there's, a, there's an awful lot being pushed on to the Russian war with Ukraine. Uh, as if it's all their fault, but yeah. actually it's restrictive supply. So we don't really buy a ton, and we don't buy lots and lots of fuel from Russia. Europe does. Uh, we buy a lot of fuel from Europe, and we buy a lot of fuel from Saudi Arabia, and we, we always have a stock of fuel in the country. Now, the problem with messing with just excise duty is that excise duty for the retailer has already been paid. So they've are, so they've they've paid their taxes every month. So that excise duty is already paid. So when you say fifteen cent off excise duty, you're fifteen cent off next month's excise duty. And so the problem is they've already pre-bought a lot of that fuel as well. So it really was a very small thing to mess with. What the government could have messed with, of course, is the VAT rates. Would have been very easy to drop the VAT rate down to two or three percent. That would have been significant saving for both businesses and users at the pumps, and that was totally dodged. They say they need Europe's permission to do that. Well, they didn't need your permissions last year to drop it off of the uh, the catering industry during the lockdown, did they? There is that too. <laughs> it's amazing how they can change the rules whenever they feel like it. There is that. Just in terms of maintaining the car that one has, different engine oils, um, some of the really cheap ones, you might as well be, you know, you, you're doing harm. But what about own label stuff that you pick up at the likes of Tesco and Lidl and shops like that? Is engine oil engine oil? Is, do you get what you pay for? 
you, you very much get what you pay for. Be very careful if you're go- now if you're going to change the all the content of the oil in your in your engine, you should get the exact stuff that the manufacturers recommended, and they will have a number somewhere like BM. There's like ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. W50501 for Volkswagen, they'll have a very specific number for it. So in an oil change situation, I would definitely look for exactly the right oil, very high quality. Look for something, a brand name you recognize that's been around for a long time. Don't want to mention anyone, but you know the kind of ones I'm talking about. But if you're topping up at a petrol station in the middle of the night and you're missing a little bit of oil or the car, a light has come on, you're just going to put in a litre before you get yourself serviced probably not going to do the same level of harm. As long as you're not relying on that, if the car is burning oil and you're putting that one litre in every couple of months, then you're probably going to do harm to the car over time. Yeah, yeah. I remember the old the old story Niall Tobin used to tell, do she burn oil? And she would if she got it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, yeah. Bob? And the old one, is, if it was burning oil, just take a bit of a thicker oil in. It's all your problem to some degree because it wouldn't burn it at a high temperature. I don't know, you, you're, you're made me, I'm certainly old enough to remember the craze for for, for Japanese imports and they were oh, some yeah. fantastic cars came in during that particular craze has it gone can you still do it as someone is on saying I'd love to get a really nice Japanese market car something with character how do I go about it you still have yeah that's still totally available in actual fact a lot of dealerships this year you would have seen a new car in the road called a Toyota Aqua seems yes. to be absolutely everywhere yeah well that's a totally a Japanese import Never come out here. It's somewhere between Yaris and Corolla, but it's a hybrid underneath. Oddball car was never on sale here, but it's come in in droves because it's a cool little thing, actually. Yeah, it's actually not a bad little thing to drive either. Very basic, but very reasonably priced. And it's a hybrid, so you're in that kind of, you're in the right range of things, modern things. You can still do Japanese imports. They don't, uh, the Japanese system doesn't make it easy. But there is a number of Japanese importers in the country and there's a couple of auction sites you can go to, but they really don't make it easy. Language barriers, they don't like exporting good cars. They don't like exporting Nissan GTRs or any of those kind of top-end ones. They prefer if you just left that alone because... uh, because Americans come online after a while as a car has to be, I think it has to be eight years on the market in Japan before America mm. can import it or something. Yeah. So once they get eight years old, Americans just snap them all up. Mm. I, I drove, a, I drove a borrowed one long ago and like it was the equivalent of the one you could buy in the Irish. There was no different. It was, it was like driving the Knight Rider car. There's incredible yokes. Can, can anyone get started? Where would one get started? You can, though? yeah. Japanese auction sites, Japanese car auction sites will lead you in the right direction. They show you good photographs of the car, really things to look out for. There's no particular good Japanese uh, auction site. They're all the same. You need a hander on the other side. You, you hand over your money. It goes into escrow and the whole lot happens. It's about three months of a process. Obviously, shipping the car takes a long time. But the one thing to look out for is for go- if you're going to buy something like a Prius from Japan, 
all of the touchscreen controls, all of the heating controls will all be in Japanese and ah. they're all hardwired to that. Ah, so, so you can't, so you can't change the, the language option, no? <laughs> no, no, you're stuck with Japanese. Oh, so you got to learn a few little Japanese phrases to try and figure out which buttons are actually present. Oh, so God. some of the cars can be hardwired Japanese or the physical button will be in Japanese as well, like rear windshield wiper will be all in Japanese. Do, do you have a website people can look at or a Reddit site or wherever? No, YouTube. not really. No, literally start looking up the Japanese. But no, Facebook is a good option as well. There's a good number of Irish Facebook users that are out there right now that do import regularly Japanese imports, clean them up and put them on sale here in Ireland. And, and they're more specialists. So it's, it's worth doing your research and really looking around for what you're looking for. I wouldn't go looking for something like a Toyota Corolla or something basic like that. Yeah. But you could go looking for something interesting, some yeah. good like it. I think that's what this, this particular caller was saying. Something interesting, something with a bit of character. But I I, I'm I'm very conscious of what you say because with so much electronic now, like if you buy, if you, I, I once, I was driving a Renault Kajar and I mistakenly happened to change the language into something completely indistinguishable and it was only by the power of touch and feel I, I got back to English. But there is no English on these cars coming in, no? No, some of them are actually hardwired Japanese, so there's nothing you can do about it. Other, even if you change the whole head unit, you're still going to get some things that will be spouted out to you in Japanese. So okay. it can be quite difficult. It depends on the car. Some of the cars have very modern stuff, Have uh, like every car, all the press car I get, can have any language that's already built into the car. So you can just flip between languages all you want, but the older ones are all hardwired, so you're stuck okay. with Japanese. Plus, they don't like shipping their cars out. Remember, yeah. so they want to stop you buying them. Okay. Eamon Ryan has been telling us recently to, to drive slowly. He's right, of course. Drive slowly and, and we'd save we'd save money. But the thing about it is I, I've no desire to leave work an hour early or leave home an hour early for work and I'm sure neither does anybody else. So is there something practical, Bob, that we can do to cut the, the soaring fuel bill? There's a good number of things you can do. Eamon Ryan is actually right. I know he's tone deaf and has a horrible way of saying things at the most inappropriate time, but actually he's dead right. Slowing down will save you fuel. And in actual fact, driving at 100 instead of 120 could save you 20% on your fuel. So it's quite a lot. And it doesn't matter what the fuel is, diesel, petrol, electric, still going to get more distance for going slower. But... One of the bigger savings as well is the weight of the car. So carrying around a set of golf clubs or a bike on the roof or a roof rack or any of those things that cause aerodynamic drag, that's another 20%. That can be a huge factor to the car. I know guys carrying around like uh, peat moss, bag of peat moss in the boot and things. It's just, it's just been in there so long they've forgotten about the thing. It's like carrying an extra human around with them. So the weight of the car is a big one. Also the tires on the car, that the tires are pumped up properly. Flat tires cause more drag which causes the car to use a lot more fuel. And then just go easy with that foot pedal. You know, don't be squeezing it down to the floor if you want to get away from traffic lights. On, on the tyres, Bob, a lot of cars now have this little red light that comes on if your tyres are off balance. But that doesn't mean they're soft or hard, does it? No, that can mean there's an imbalance between. So if, if, you're, if your two front tyres are supposed to be 36 PSI, and one of them is 34, the light comes on. It's not, it's not showing you've got a puncture necessarily. It's maybe there's a slow puncture. There's just an imbalance between the four tires. So it's not really a good indicator of whether your tires need to be checked or not. You should be checking your tires once a month for pressure. You should also check for bulges, marks, scuffs, cuts in your tires, things you can't really see when on a day to day. It might not be in the outside wall of the tire, it could be in the inside wall of the tire. Those kind of things are all a safety aspect. Remember, the tires are the only contact you have with the surface of the road and all four tires together make about the same space as an A4 page. 
Okay. We've all been watching Drive to Survive and we hear those understeer and oversteer, those terms used by these guys who drive at 190 miles an hour, which is grand. But in your ordinary family car, understeer and oversteer, somebody wants to know, what exactly is that? So there's two different methods. So generally, most cars are front-wheel drive you have right now. Actually, most electric cars are rear-wheel drive again. So we've gone the other way around. But say on a front-wheel drive, when you're coming into a corner and you turn in, so you start to turn your steering wheel towards the corner, the car, the tyres are turning, but the car is going straight on. So the car is heading for the ditch. Uh, That's called understeer. So the car continues on in a straight line, even though you're turning the wheel enough to make it happen. Happens a bit on icy roads. You will have experienced if you've ever driven on a really icy road. Uh, But you'd also find that when you have very low grip on your tires or you're turning in too fast, you get into a corner too fast, that's where understeer happens. Oversteer is where you've turned in and the back of the car is coming around to where the front of the car is. So the back of the car is starting to drift around and you're starting to find the other way around. So that's that's oversteer. A little bit less rare in Ireland because we don't have many rear-wheel drive cars. A lot of BMWs would be. Some of the, the uh, other brands out there, Mercedes, would have rear-wheel drive, but usually you won't find too much oversteer unless you're uh, some of the nice enthusiastic lads on cross on little crosswalks at nighttime or crossroads at nighttime. They, they find oversteer very quickly. Finally, Bob, uh, before I let you go, do you see any ease in this fuel price crisis anytime soon? In the, within the next two months, I expect there will be. We cannot sustain the price of fuel at the moment. It is far too high. People are, cannot afford to get to work. If you can't go to work, you can't pay your taxes. If you can't pay your taxes, you're in real trouble. It's getting very expensive for everybody to live now, and the cost of living for everything has risen. So it's not possible to sustain just fuel at two euro a litre forever. It can't stay that way. Supply will improve. We're also looking at Canadian fuel coming in, uh, North American fuel coming in, more Saudi Arabian fuel coming online. So once once the actual supply increases, we should see a drop at the pumps. But this is very much, we need an active government we need an active uh, TD, we need an active Minister for Transport and really need to be stamping all over this very quickly because this is going to make or break the country. Fuel is, drives the price of everything. All right, Bob, good speaking with you. Bob Flavin, you'll find him on TikTok, on YouTube, any number of different platforms. Uh, we'll get him on again. We'll talk to Bob again. Thank you for that. Bob Flavin. His videos are amusing and... He calls it as it is. Mag says, brilliant call for someone like me who knows nothing about cars except how to drive them. This guy makes everything so much easier to understand. Thanks, Bob. 0818 96 96 96. Talking earlier about HRT with Jess and with Conor Phelan. Just let you know, high 96 of M, Salpidol soluble. Both me and my friend are on this for arthritis. We can't take alternatives for over two months now. We can't get it. No pharmacy seems to have it. They've no date yet for getting it back in. Uh, it's very upsetting and very frustrating. We're being left without our medication in 2022. I rang the medicines board. They told me it's because of Brexit. Now that seems a complete cop-out and a very lame excuse, says Gillian. 0818 96 96 96. If you've never heard of sextortion, well, you actually have heard of sextortion. You might just not know what it is. It is when they take something that they've found belonging to you on social media and they try to use it to blackmail you. And there have been stories going around of it happening to children as young as 13 and 14. And the Gardaí are on top of it and they've got some advice as to what you should and shouldn't do. We'll get to that next. 0818 96 96 96. 
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. This World Circus Day, April 16th, the Circus Factory will host two events at Wandsford Quay. Superstar Circus and Honor the Star and Evening Cabaret feature some of the best circus talent Cork has to offer. There'll also be open-air shows with tickets available on Eventbrite. Access all areas. The magic and music of Kate Bush is brought to you by Baby Bushka, an eight-woman powerhouse ensemble from San Diego, California. The show takes place on Friday, May 20th at the Everyman Theatre. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Gary were recently alerted. Uh, it happened in the west of Ireland, up in around Galway. A school put a warning on its Facebook page during Internet Safety Week uh, about sextortion. Now, Gardy did investigate that, and it's still under investigation. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole pile behind it, but it raises the question of what is sextortion. And I've been speaking to a Garda Sergeant Michael Walsh, who works in this particular area, cybercrime and other such investigations, about exactly what it is. Sergeant Michael Walsh, hardly a week goes by now, Michael, without some new scam or other. And in particular, scams or even stories about scams affecting young children. They worry us a bit more. What advice have you got for for young people who might be faced with, say, what we call sextortion? Describe what it is first, anyway. Well, sextortion, as you say, PJ, it's, it's where a perpetrator will exploit a vulnerable young person or, or any person for that matter and, and blackmail them effectively uh, threatening to share intimate images or, or photographs that they have on social media so somebody might have an intimate photograph and say if you don't give me money or if you don't do something I'm going to share this with your friends or I'm going to publicly share it on Facebook so I suppose that young person obviously um, you know psychological trauma financial loss uh, the embarrassment the shame of this so all that plays into the hands of, of the perpetrator. And it's fair to say that a lot of young people, a lot of us in general, wouldn't be aware of how easy it is to take and manipulate an image. Yeah, and that's, I think, what's happening or what I'm hearing is happening. It's not that um, somebody has that intimate image. They're going into people's social media. They're taking down uh, a legitimate, genuine photograph, maybe cropping it or editing it in some way and putting it on to maybe a, a naked body or something and then purporting that that image is that person. Um, and that's that's potentially what, what a scammer can do. Um, so, look, I would say to anybody that, that uh, receives any kind of, um, of a, a message or, or communication from anybody trying to scam them of that nature is the first port of call should be to contact Angarda Siakana. We have dedicated cybercrime units to deal with all this type of crime. And as you said from the outside, PJ, you know, scams, frauds and cybercrime, cybercrime have escalated over the last couple of years. They're not going to go away. The scammer is always looking at a new way to to, to manipulate somebody. And this is obviously one of the one of the ones we're seeing as well. I think your message is very clear, Michael. Do not 
hand over any money. Yeah, yeah, it's quite simple. Don't pay them uh, because, you know, if you pay them straight away, you're, 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 they will see you as a, a gullible target and they will continue to push for more money and more money. And there's no guarantee that they wouldn't share the image in any event. Uh, so don't pay them, don't engage with them and contact TRD. And I, I do appreciate for some people this could be embarrassing, but we are here to support and help people. Uh, our mission is to keep people safe. So contact your local Gardaí in full confidence and we can deal with the matter. Um, another thing I suppose you can do is document what's been sent to you, be it a screen grab or, or whatever of, of the messages you're getting. And our cybercrime unit hopefully then can go back and trace the number that sent you the message. And, and you're probably familiar with Coco's Law, which was yes. enacted last year bringing in very serious penalties for, for a crime of this nature where somebody shares any intimate images without the consent of the owner or the person in it. So there's up to a seven years prison sentence for anybody that would engage in that kind of criminality. And is that there now, Michael? Is that actually on the statute books now? That's on the statute books since last year. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I suppose for someone who's 14, 15, 16 years of age and, and this has happened to them your advice, don't pay over any money, well they say, that's fine but what if they go and share it then? I'm disgraced, My lo- and at 15 the very thoughts of somebody having an intimate or supposedly intimate picture that's, that's life changing they will give over Absolutely. money, that's the problem yeah, um, and look, giving over the money isn't going to stop it. You, you've you've highlighted yourself as somebody with the means to pay money, um, and somebody who has fallen for the scam effectively. So they'll keep coming for more. It will never stop. It will escalate and get bigger and bigger, um, and out of control. You know what I would say to parents, any parents listening, would be to sit down with your child and and have the conversation. You know, we've seen over the last two years of the pandemic where young people, I suppose, haven't had the opportunity to physically engage due to to restrictions and that and maybe have been using social media or using electronic format to communicate with each other and perhaps send photographs to each other of an intimate nature you know so I suppose you know images that go on to social media or into the electronic cloud, you know, are there forever. They're not going to disappear, you know, and to be mindful of that from from, from, yeah. from the get-go, but also to have that conversation with your child uh, and to see what they're doing. And, and, you know, don't blame them. Work with your children and, and, and try and not fall into becoming a victim of this type of thing. That's very important, isn't it, for parents, that if a, if a, par- if a child comes to you and says, Mom, this, this is happening to me and, and I need help, don't judge uh, yeah, them. absolutely. You know, we do see it with, with all their crime types as well, where often people, not even children, kind of keep it to themselves and it, it, it builds up and builds up and gets worse and worse. So, you know, problem shared is a problem halved, as they say. Have that conversation, be it the child to the parent or the parent with the child sitting down and having the open and frank conversation about, you know, uh, you know, I was on a radio station this morning and I was saying, you know, back in my day, um, you know, the, the, the advice we were getting was, you know, the, the safe cross code or, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, suspicious people or, or whatever it might be. We now need to talk about, you know, times have changed. Everything is online. We need to talk about online safety. And I think that's that's very important for young people. So it's, it's having those conversations with kids. They're on games. They're on social media. They're on all of these other devices, especially over the last two years. Having the conversation about what are you on? Who are you engaging with? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's 
dangerous or stranger danger that we talk about uh, and you know even with the, with the dating apps people are on there with fake profiles they'll start grooming people they'll yeah. start sharing images and try to get the images back you know and they get the images back thinking you know that I, I'm, I'm engaging with somebody legitimate here it's, yeah. it's, it's potentially a scam somebody trying to I suppose social engineer that information out of you and then they'll come back and use that against you it's a parent's nightmare Michael one last thing before I let you go we are in the middle of confirmation season and we're heading into Holy Communion season in the month of May and with the best will in the world thousands of parents will give or thousands of aunties or uncles will give a smartphone to a young person for the first time that's a very dangerous portal you're putting into young hands we should be cautious about that shouldn't we we should absolutely should um, you know it, it is the gateway to the world you know um, in, in the past you as I said you were you were teaching your kids neighbourhood safety crossing the road and, and, and stuff in your own neighbourhood the phone with an internet access is, is the, the gateway to the world they will meet and, and, and um, any amount of people out there uh, without your knowledge uh, so I suppose just be careful about who they're engaging with and if I can just maybe mention as well uh, you know the, the privacy settings that people have on their social media uh, to stop these cameras getting in and getting the photographs off you in the first place and I'll mention something called two-factor authentication uh, many of your listeners are probably familiar with it through banking websites and so on but you can download a free authentication app on your phone which can then you can create uh, kind of one-time user codes for for all of your social media sites so it gives that extra layer of security to your social media to your emails and and everything else we use I think we've seen scams and I've seen a a figure last week uh, it was Garda Fraud Awareness Week where account takeover scams had increased by over 500% last year so it is it is the new crime um, and it's something we just have to be extra vigilant around Sergeant Michael Walsh thank you no problem at all be wary of that and in particular coming into communion season and we're at the back end of confirmation season if you and we've had many people Graham Mulhern from Be Secure Online and um, Trend Micro who is Avril from Trend Micro regularly says on the opinion line if you're giving a child a smartphone make sure you know what it's capable of doing and what it's capable of, of getting into can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. But I will address that Bruce College situation before the end of the programme. You remember last week, um, Mick Barry was on here, Mick Barry, uh, Cork Solidarity TD, talking about. Something, well, talk about the cost of grind schools or schools like Bruce and Hewitt and others anyway. But but he was talking about something he'd spotted in the terms and conditions with regard 
to cancellations. And he was a bit concerned about it and he raised it with me on the program and he said, why don't we go and check out what Bruce have to say? We did. And I'll tell you what they have to say before we finish today. But before I get on to that and plenty more to do uh, besides in our third and final hour today, let's give you one more listen to this. We're with Blackwater Motors all this week, of course, giving us a €250 voucher every day, one winner of which we will upgrade to a €500 winner on Friday. It's to do with their annual demo and used car event with 500 cars to choose from across the Volkswagen and Seat range. Starts Wednesday, runs through till Sunday when it's open 12 to 4 at Forge Hill for my and Skibreen, all the deets at blackwatermotors.ie. Celebrity motorist. Uh, who is it? I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to like us bullied as a kid. All right. His name and yours to 083 396 96 96. I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to like us bullied as a kid. All right. We'll do that at the end of the show. But have you got stuff lying around the house? That could be buried treasure. Like, got some old painting under a sheet in the attic. Or records. Now, I have an attic full of records. No one's getting their hands on them. But I don't know whether or not there's buried treasure inside there. Old toys. Old computers. Musical instruments. Old record players. Old phones. Just vintage stuff that's up in the attic or out in the shed gathering dust might it be valuable Ian Dowling joins me to talk about this Ian's got uh, a television show coming up on Sky and a few more other projects in the can but first of all Ian let's talk a, bit, a little bit about you this is your area of expertise we we have stuff buried in our houses for years like I said the old painting under a sheet it could be worth a lot of money good morning morning PJ thanks for having me on delighted so how do people value this junk or what they think is junk in their attic? Um, well, there's a number of ways, really. I mean, um, there's, there's online appraisers like valuemystuff.com. They can give you an accurate valuation um, for a fee. So you just send in a photograph and they'll give you an idea of value. You can also use sites like eBay and kind of suss out what, what prices um, items are getting on, on that marketplace auction houses as well you can contact auction houses for appraisals um, auctions are a great way to sell directly to collectors and, and the trade to the highest bidder now there's a charge of 10 to 15 percent of the hammer price to the auctioneer if you go down that route you can also contact a, an antique dealer directly so you can go online to the on like the, there's a database the iada the irish antique dealers association and you can have a list of dealers there so you can check in with your local dealer and they don't not all dealers are with the iada so there's a lot of great dealers that around the country not registered with them and they're also brilliant to deal with too so you can always contact your your local antique dealer and and and, and see you know what, what kind of value they, they place upon it so there's a, a few different options available to people if they feel they have something that's 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 worth something up in their attic or out in their shed or whatever do you know the way you go up into the attic to find something like particularly the christmas decorations now you go up into it once a year and you fall over that thing that's been sitting in the corner forever and you wonder why haven't i just taken that to the dump what kind of things might be a treasure trove that you wouldn't be knowing about yeah, well, one of the things I think that's great about Irish people, certainly from what I do, is just that we have a kind of a waste not 
want not kind of attitude. We'd rather kind of store something away up in the attic than throw it out. And I think that's brilliant. And uh, we're also a little bit sentimental too, I think. So for that reason, I think a lot of people do have stuff stored away and they, they don't throw things out. And that's great. Um, the types of things that people could have, I mean, there's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, it could be anything from art. I mean, I, I, I had a friend of mine who, whose auntie found three Harry Kernoff paintings wrapped up in paper in an attic in Marino. They were selling the house. And it was up there, the corner of the rafters, and uh, they ended up being valued at ten to fifteen thousand each. So there's an there's an idea. And then look, not everybody's going to f- find a high value painting in their attic, but original art of all description has value, and you know the the quality matters a lot. Vintage stuff, like in, in my house, for example, I've been collecting music stuff and records in particular for, God, I'd be almost afraid to say how long I'm collecting records, and I've got one whole wall of my attic just stacked up with stuff. Um, some of the, some of it might be valuable. Yeah. So when it comes to records, I mean, you know, they can they can range from a euro to thousands. I mean, popular records that were made in their millions hold less value. But if you keep keep an eye out for rare records, you know, ones that were made and withdrawn, they're high value attached to them. And eBay again is brilliant for records to get an idea of value. Um, so it's only just a cl- couple of clicks away. So if you have something, if you have a few records up in your attic. Um, eBay is a great place to check the kind of value that they can achieve. So condition is always hugely important with vinyl. Coins, um, books. <clears throat> coins, books. Yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 unlikely that you'll have a Ulysses or something up in the attic or in your bookshelf, but there's a lot of books out there that still have value. I mean, um, you know, Harry Potter books can, can, you know, command large sums of money and they don't necessarily have to be in pristine condition. Yeah. And, you know, if you're in general, when you're talking about books, it's, you know, first edition, of a popular book in good condition uh, with a dust jacket can bring in the most money. And if you have a signed copy, it adds further value too. Um, yeah. Um, so old, yeah, even toys. Uh, pardon that, me? That old silver butter dish that you took from Granny's house. Those kind of Absolutely. Things. Yeah, definitely. So silverware is usually hallmarked, allowing you to see the maker, the place, and age of manufacturer. So that's the first thing to check. Um, silverware sets, they're not as popular now as they once were in the second-hand market, but you can always consider sell, selling silver for its value and weight to bring in, you know, a quick bit of cash. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Old ceramics, I mean, if you look back at our, our grannies and granddads and, and, and our aunties, they had houses full of ceramic figurines and dolls and cups and mugs and serving bowls and spoons. And like that note, you said, we, we hoard it. We have cardboard boxes full of old bits of ceramic up in the attic. Worth a look through? Absolutely. And the same again, if you look for a stamp on the base, most ceramics will have a stamp on the base that will allow you to do some kind of online research to find out when and where they were made and what kind of value they have. I mean, any kind of ceramics with, you know, nostalgic kind of stuff, like, you know, the, the, the flying ducks, the three flying ducks that were yeah. very popular in the 70s and 80s. Like, I'm a big fan of those. And, you know, they're very collectible at the moment because, you know, a lot of, over the years, they were, so, they were commonplace, but over the years, they've become broken or binned and, you know, they're now actually quite hard to find and they can go for a couple of hundred quid in nice condition. And I think it's because of that nostalgia. That's that's why people like to, you know, that's that's why people like them and, and why they've got a value because they were that commonplace. But ceramics, as I say, yeah, a lot of them just kind of disappear. They get broken and they just, and, and those, those, those three flying ducks, if you have them, there's a nice value attached to them these days. I was lucky enough to see Queen at Slane back in the day, uh, the great Freddie Mercury in action. 
I'm showing my age now, admittedly. But I happen to know someone who still has the poster advertising the gig framed and in mint condition. Stuff like that. That worth money. Big time, yeah. No, I mean, um, any any original concert posters have a good value attached to them. So, you know, if you have a poster for the first Slane gig in 1981 or Nirvana's cancelled 1994 or Dublin gig or... Muhammad Ali in Croke Park or Bob Marley 1980 in Daily Man Park like the Bob Marley poster there there was one at auction went for 1200 quid um, there about wow. six months ago so that gives you an idea and U2 concert posters they always sell really well um, so I, I bought a kind of a, I bought a U2 Croke Park concert poster when, when we were doing Irish Pickers and um, and so that went for 1100 and um, so yeah so you know condition and rarity is often the key to value when it comes to posters and also concert t-shirts as well you know like if you had concert t-shirts packed away from your youth they're worth a few quid and probably a lot more than what you paid for them yeah and they, they, they definitely won't fit you anymore so they might be of use to, to somebody and old clothes in general can be can be worth some money yeah absolutely I mean you know popular trends they come and they go and they come back around again I mean um, when it comes to clothing and accessories vintage you know 60s 70s all that stuff is definitely uh, there's a lot of that lying around in attics and that can be worth quite a bit if it's stylish and in good condition and even 90s stuff now is also in demand so you know a shell tracksuit from the 90s could be worth um, more now they were an embarrassment those things they're back around again. Umbro and um, any kind of shell suits like that, they're kind of, you'll, you'll see, you know, kids going around now wearing them that their parents probably wore. Those kind of, uh, you know, late late teens, early 20s, a lot of people wearing the 90s stuff now back yeah. back again. So it's amazing, really. It's fantastic. And uh, it's great to see kind of the trends coming back, you know. And um, I always buy old stuff over new, really. You know, it's always better quality and yeah. a far better investment than buying new. Adidas as well, they any Adidas Sippies and things like that, they always hold their value and there's there's, there's always a real strong demand for them. Yeah. The Joe Bloggs brand disappeared, so is that worth something? Joe Bloggs, I, I would say so, yeah, for the nostalgia of it, but it's it's kind of, um, you know, a lot of the sports stuff really, like Adidas Umbro, that stuff's really strong demand for that um, in particular. Um, okay. But yeah, Joe Bloggs, I would, I would, I would imagine they do. I haven't seen too much of that around, to be honest. Um, well, of <laughs> scrambling around attics and sheds now to see if they got. Remind me again. So people's first port of call is IADA, is it? Yeah. So the Irish Antique Dealers Association. You can, you can. There's a list of dealers on that site. But as I say, there's a lot of dealers that aren't. Um, register with the IADA that are fantastic too and they're brilliant to deal with so if you contact your local dealer in the area um, they might be able to give you an idea of value auction houses valuemystuff.com and eBay and also you can contact me on Irish Picker Instagram if you want to get an idea of value I'll try and help you Irish Picker now you've got a TV project either on or coming up which is it? So we've done the first series of Irish Pickers and uh, we're, we couldn't film last summer because of COVID. So we're hoping this summer now, so I'm going to find out next month. But uh, fingers crossed, because although the show is about, about antiques, I mean, it's just a great way to kind of showcase the, the history and the, the people and the scenery of Ireland in a really nice way. So I'm really kind of buzzing, looking forward to getting going on it again now, fingers crossed, this when, summer. When is that up? When, is it, when are we filming? Yeah, when, when, when can we see it? Oh, well, I'm not sure. We haven't even started filming yet. Like, So we're hoping this summer and waiting for confirmation from the network next month. So we filmed in summer before, and that's the best time to do it. So fingers crossed now this summer we'll be, we'll be back at it. Okay. Ian, 
in thank you very much Ian Dowling of Irish Pickers there's junk in them their attics that could be worth money it, it apparently I told by rival people that Joe Bloggs in Good Nick is worth a fortune Joe Bloggs clothing uh, so many of them were thrown out you see you wore them and you chucked them out um, but they would make good money if you had an original Joe Bloggs in Good Nick it might be worth getting it getting it valued. Yes, them flipping shell suits in the 90s were embarrassing as hell. Mind you, there's enough track suitery being worn around the place these days in that plain old prison grey. I wear a bit of grey myself from time to time, but I certainly wouldn't wear one of them. And I, don't, I, wear, I wear trackies as well around the place, sloppies around the house, but God, them, oh, they're awful. Now, what is this thing about going off on one now, sorry. What is this thing about wearing tracksuits, particularly young lads, wearing tracksuits that look like you bought them in the children's department? They're way too small. They cannot be comfortable, if you know what I mean. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie Courts 96FM One of the things I'm loving about sort of being over the worst with regards to COVID-19, and look, I know there's plenty of it still out there and plenty of people are isolating and all of that, but one of the things that's nice about being over the worst of it is being able to have guests back in studio and being able to get gigs back on and particularly things like uh, stand-up comedy. I'm joined in studio by the great Neil Delamere who is coming to Cork on the 28th of uh, April to the Opera House. Good to be back, sir. Oh my God, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I I can't wait. It it was such a strange time. I, I was doing gigs here, there and everywhere during the the last two years but it was you know they weren't they weren't allowed to be full a lot of the time they weren't allowed to be on at eight o'clock you know mm. at the normal time so for it to be back in Cork Opera House with a thousand people there cheek by jowl doing yeah. what you've loved doing is uh, I'll never take it for granted again I, I, our own Ross Brown when he was able to go back on stage yeah. I remember he was like a small child here oh man weeks, it's unbelievable you know yeah. yeah yeah because we were like doing little gigs like those points myself and Chris Kent you probably know yeah. a great Cork comedian like we were doing little gigs like 15 people outside in marquees because mm. that's all that was allowed and um, that was just to kind of keep the, the muscle memory going essentially you know so you, you didn't get too rusty mm. uh, but to be back doing it the way it should be done is, yeah. is, it's a great privilege I have to say Covid in itself and I know it look it affected so many families in terrible ways and it disrupted our life and disrupted our economy mm. but surely there's got to be something in to laugh about Ah, yeah. I mean, I don't think any subject is necessarily, um, you know, off limits. It depends on what you say. Yeah. So, like, 
the, how the rules changed, for example, how when people wore masks, when they shouldn't wear masks. Um, I like I saw a girl in in London, and she wasn't wearing a mask, and she was meant to wear a mask. It was on the tube, and she was meant to wear a mask. And I heard her say to a friend, she said, "I don't like wearing things, you know, on my face." And like she had fake eyelashes out, about two <laughs> two and a half feet off her head, like not even not even the ones you'd see on a human, you know, the ones you see on the front of an Nissan Micra, you know, those ones. <laughs> like she like there was a breeze coming off them. She winked at the fellow beside me, and his newspaper turned inside out. <laughs> and you're looking at her going, you should be wearing a mask. And so that's a li- weird little thing in the midst of all this madness yeah. that you can pinpoint. So you can yeah. definitely talk about COVID on stage. It's the little observational stuff. Actually, you mentioned there about, you know, what people laugh at and what they don't. Yeah. And what's inbounds and out of bounds. Chris Rock and Will Smith. Yeah. What did you make of that? Um, I thought that, well, I wouldn't have said what he said. Um, I think... Chris, I think Will Smith should have done what he did, obviously. Mm. I thought after it happened, Chris Rock dealt with it quite well in terms of uh, after the slap was given. I've never had anything like that. We've, most comedians have been in a situation where there's a bit of tension, though, sometimes, you mm. know. Um, I think the weirdest one I had was years ago. There's a, there's a gig in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival called Late in Live, and it starts at one o'clock in the morning. And basically, you, you do it till three o'clock, and you try and survive. That's all you do, PG. Mm. You just, I, would, I would suggest drink has been taken. Drink has been taken and uh, I, it's a kind of a rite of passage and I did it one night and I, I, like in my early days and I got away with it and then the next night I was a bit too cocky and I did it and it was not going well mm. and a guy shouted uh, well I'm going to paraphrase this for the radio he went get your bits out uh-huh. basically and I said I will if you will assuming he wouldn't oh god which was my fatal error PJ that was my fate <laughs> I had I had not calibrated correctly for the amount of alcohol that he had taken on board he got up on stage and took his trousers off and then looked to me like a challenge and I, I didn't and no. not, the Edinburgh audience late night audience will forgive a lot of things but not a broken promise oh dear me so for the next 10 minutes it was just they hated me because I wouldn't do it I, if I'd done what he asked me to do. I actually think I would have gotten away with it. But th- th- that's the closest I've ever been to somebody else being on stage with you and it just being quite tense, you know? Yeah, I, I imagine you'd be fearful sometimes. I mean, look, comedy goes to the edge. Mm. The edge has moved, hasn't it, though? I, um, there you sound you... like Bono. Yes, yeah, the, the edge has moved. I don't think there's any subject that is out of bounds, but it depends on who makes a joke about yeah. it. So if you are suffering from a condition and you can make a joke, that's fine. Yes. You know, it depends on who says it, when they say it, how they say it. I think most human beings are innately, you know, they innately understand context. Yeah. Um, so th- what's said in a comedy club when the audience knows a person and knows the atmosphere and they've set themselves up as a specific sort of character, that's different than somebody coming mm. out and saying something cold about somebody else. People take offence much more easily now, Neil, don't they? Um, or do you think they do? I don't know. I mean, I know people say, uh, say, oh, you can't say anything, anything anymore. But some of the people who say you can't say anything anymore don't go to comedy gigs. You know, yeah. There's all sorts of that, but that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think you should be able to just you should be able to stand over what you say. That's yeah. what you should be able to do. And if you can stand over for whatever reason, off you go. Yeah. Talk to me about Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. Uh, I, talk I, about I standing you, over what you say. Talk <laughs> about talk about the Edinburgh Fringe and, yeah. and that that challenge. Yeah. I tell you something. I'd have done that before I would have gone on Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars was absolutely terrifying, Pigeon. <laughs> absolutely terrifying. There's nothing... Edinburgh Fringe Festival doesn't bear comparison. Um, I have been asked before. I was always too nervous. COVID made me think two things. One, I didn't know if I was going to be allowed gig. And secondly, you know, life is short. Go 
and do something that scares the hell out of you. So I did. But I was, oh my God, I was so nervous the first the first day. Yeah, you were, like walking out with an hour and a half of new material that you've never tried in an audience, that must be nerve-wracking. But to go out and... Oh, different, yeah. Different kettle of fish altogether, totally. yeah. Because like when you try new stuff, you set it up as new stuff. The, the gig might be free or the gig might be very cheap and, mm. you know, it's advertised. Whereas you, like I opened the show. <laughs> I never danced on television before. I opened the series in front of a half a million people. And when they told you that... Uh, when I t- uh, or did you know? Was no, it just I did filmed? know that. I did know that. And actually, my pro dancer Kylie said to me, "It's better." And she's right because I you prefer it. You do not want the nerves to build up during the show. Uh, and, like you're sitting there and you have this weird out of body experience. So you're dressed first of all with shoulder pads out to here, a, a little bolero jacket with gold studs, like they've rolled the matador in thumbtacks. That's what it looks like. You look like <laughs> half. Half Joan Collins, half Garnel Gaddafi is how I would describe it, right? And you're standing there doing a Paso Doble, dressed like the most flamboyant Artane Boys band member possible. And you have this weird out-of-body experience going, what are we doing? But my pro dancer was brilliant. She was very patient. And um, we ha- it's, it's the best fun. It is yeah. the best fun, I have to say. Now, you're talking to someone who knows nothing about dancing, right? Yeah. Because to me, a pass a doubly, I yeah. think it's something gave me an awful hangover in Santa Panza one time. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I possibly danced it a couple of times, like I had a hangover, but we got away with it on the night. Yeah. You learn all the, te- the, the, the techniques, you, you learn all the technology. You, you do, yeah. Yeah, you do. And you can eat whatever you want. You're training five, for five hours a day, mm. so the weight falls off, you know, and then you stop and the weight goes back on. So I've, I've started to do a bit of cycling now. And and a friend of mine is really into cycling and I have one cycling jersey that Nicholas Roach gave me, a professional cyclist. So my mm. friend is exceptionally jealous of this. Yeah, but none of us none of us are or ever will be the size that Nicholas Roach <laughs> Oh God, no. I mean, if Nicholas Roach gave me four jerseys and stitch I stitched them together. Oh no, I could get into it. I'd never get out of it again. <laughs> ever. Yeah, I ha- yeah. I'd have to train to get into his jersey. But he's a gentleman and uh, it, it has pride of place on my wall, if well, not I, my body. I've never met... Nicholas, but I met Stephen after he won the the, the Euro d'Italia and, and the Tour, tour yeah. and the World so Championships. If you don't like, like each other, you know, he's a decent skin, he's a decent lad. Yeah. Who's your comedy hero? Ooh, um, it varies at different times. I think Tommy Tiernan is one of the best people I've ever seen. And I've seen people all around the world of different hues and different different backgrounds and different approaches to comedy. And uh, Tommy, when he's on it, is fabulous, I have to say. Um, Dave Allen. Dave Allen The great Dave Allen The great Dave Allen I mean Dave Allen made Being Irish cool In England At a time when There was a lot of pressure On Irish people Who lived over there They were only coming out Of a a, a scenario Where there were those Kind of paddy jokes And then you have This sophisticated Urbane Very clever very cool soft spoken soft spoken wordsmith yeah. I think he did a lo- us a lot of favours uh, what I love about comedy is that there's so many different ways of doing it yeah. you can you know Jason Byrne when Jason Byrne is on fire <laughs> he could get an, a laugh of, of, of momentum in an audience yeah. that it's unbelievable he Maeve Higgins the surreal uh, yeah, stuff she's Maeve brilliant. Higgins you know she's brilliant and Joanne Joanne, yeah, she's fabulous. Lo- loads of great different. Eleanor Tiernan, yes, very you know? funny. You mentioned you mentioned um, Jason. My wife still does uh, or tries to do a thing he did, and I don't know how he had two pictures, right? One with a badger and one without, <laughs> and he gets twenty minutes out of badger. <laughs> 
<laughs> I saw him once years ago, and it doesn't sound funny, right? But he did this thing where he goes, "I, I'd love to go up to the fellow outside Buckingham Palace, you know, with the beer, uh, the, and the big bear skin hat, yeah. and go, um, is the queen him? Is the queen him? Is the queen in? Is the queen in? And I watched him, and he did it 140 times one night, <laughs> and the audience laughs, then hates him, and then starts uncontrollably laughing again. And he was just a master te- technician, I suppose. Mm. Uh, I think there's loads to be learned from watching various mm. people of different. Neil Tobin, if you oh. like, you watch like that would be a different style than mm. what we would do. But like these lads had mastery of stage, they had mastery of timing, they had mastery of voice. Mm. So there was loads to learn from various different approaches to stand up from from the fifties. Yeah, yeah. Are you worried that we haven't got much left in poor old Billy Connolly? Um, uh, Billy Connolly, I mean, I suppose we should be grateful. He's the best there's ever been. It's as simple as that. Yes. We should be grateful for the stuff he gave us. And uh, when you see, I mean, I was only watching a clip on YouTube the other day of that audience with Billy Connolly. And audience shows, they're not necessarily easy because a lot of people are in the industry and, you know, they're a little bit cynical. They've been around, you know, mm. they, have, they know how TV works, they know how performance works. To see him have Robbie Coltrane and, uh, and Michael Parkinson on the floor laughing, yeah. I mean, he was a once-in-a-lifetime talent. He was, he was, and, and still, I mean, he's, he's, he's failing a bit now, but he's, I mean, I, I, I have the original Big Banana Feet album. Right, yeah. And, he was a, and Phil Coulter was the guy who produced that album. Yeah, and it's just as funny then as it was in God knows when. Yeah, he's he's extraordinary. He's still extraordinary, you know. And we should be grateful for the legacy work he's given us. Yeah, you, you've mentioned a couple of great names, like you said, Tommy, who I would completely agree with you on. Yep. On, on, on Tommy, I'm looking forward to seeing yourself. Haven't seen you live in a few years. Mentioned Neil Tobin, Dave Allen. I'm surprised at that. How would you say if I told you that one of my all-time favourites would be the great Kenneth Williams? Oh, Kenneth Williams was uh, fantastic. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff he did on radio before he was necessarily known for the Carry On films, you know? Mm. Uh, Like all those boys, they... Um, I say boys, I mean kind of lads, as in lads and girls. They, they, when they got to TV and when they got to movies, they had done it live. A lot of them had been, like, in the war, doing, um, entertaining troops in various different uh, places. You know, they could do it. They had done their apprenticeships. Frankie mm. Howard, ah. Tommy Cooper, all these guys, you know, they were absolutely unbelievable yeah. what they did because they had been through their apprenticeships and they did put their 10,000 hours in. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love all those And guys. there are hours in it. And like to put, finally, before we finish up, to put a show of whatever hour, hour and a half duration, yeah. stage shows what? It's usually broken into two halves, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I'll have a support. Actor. Actually, it's Chris Kent. Uh, yeah, he's the wonderful yeah. Chris Kent yeah. in the Opera House. And then I'll do an hour and 15, hour 20, yeah. Yeah. How much actual... Messing around? Messing around and rehearsal goes into that. Like, do you give... Is there someone that you perform that to who says, no, take that out? <laughs> no, my long-suffering wife would just would, would, would just kill me, I think, if I was walking around trying jokes in front of her. The way you do it is you do small gigs and open mics and you build up the material slowly but surely so you know it works. Because if you think about it, you can't do the opera house and charge people the, the, the full whack and not have the pre-prepared product. Mm. But I always like to leave a little bit of messing around, a yeah. little bit of space that makes every gig individual. Like a guy the 
other night in the front row in Ballymena. Ballymena is a fairly staunchly unionist town, you know, it's, it's mm. the Paisley's be, kind of be careful. homeland. No, I'd be deliberately not careful. I'd be the other way. Uh, I would try and offend everybody equally and then nobody can say anything. But you leave room for the kind of... I said to a guy in the front row, it was a guy, and um, I said, where are you from? And he was from Ballymena, and he said, but I'm not from Ballymena originally, I'm from Egypt. And I was like, oh, you're Egyptian, but you live in Ballymena. And he went, yeah. And I said, I assume you take part in all the marches, but you walk like that. <laughs> and did the Egyptian walk. <laughs> and he's Bangles. having the crack. <laughs> and you can't script that. You don't know if he's going to be there. And it's the thing that everybody remembers that night. Each night is individual, you know. So there's, yeah. a, lot, there's a lot of room, 10 or 15 minutes, to make Brendan, to tailor each show. Brendan O'Carroll puts it as, always leave room for Bob. Yes. Bit of business. A bit of business. He's dead yeah. right. And hasn't he done reasonably well? Oh, listen. <laughs> Do you know what? And there's a great friend of mine who works for his organization and, and it's just an enormous you sound like You made him sound like the mafia. I he know, works yeah. for his organization. It, it is an organization. He, he cuts the, the head of off horses and he's the guy who leaves them in yeah, the Yeah, I know, yeah. You see, you're at it already. You're writing a script here in front of me. <laughs> it's on the 28th of uh, April. April at the Cork Opera House talking about everything and anything. Absolutely. Dancing with the Stars, Ireland's fittest family and everything oh, that's yeah, happened forgot to in get the last two years. You. Next time, PJ. Next time. All right. Listen, and still tickets left. Neil Delamere, thanks for bringing us on The Opinion. It is so great to have uh, live interviews back in studio. Pleasure. Cheers, fellow. Take care. Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah. still left for that. 28th of April at Cork Opera House. Neil Delamere. 0818969696. Right, let me... I will... I'll, yeah, I'll do this one and then we'll do the Bruce College uh, statement before the end of the show. We've come across so many books and we've talked about quite a number of them body image books written I would say predominantly more than specifically for girls but a new book called Being You is a body image book for boys and it's been described as being every bit as helpful as it is overdue the author of the book is Dr. Charlotte Mackey, who joins me from the US, and we'll hope this line holds up. Charlotte, good morning. Good morning. Great to be here. Great to have you. I think it's fair to say that the predominance of books, body image books, are for girls. But let's start with body image as a general thing. Like, what does it mean? Yeah, so I think most of us scientists think of it as how we think and feel about our bodies, but I really expand that definition in working on these books because it's more than that. It's, you know, how comfortable are you in your own skin? It's really in many ways just an index of general mental health. Mm. Why why did you decide to write books that are aimed particularly at teens and, and that age group in general? I love talking with teens and working with teens. So um, it wasn't a hard sell for me to go down this road, but it really did follow working on books for adults and working with adults more and just realizing that by the time most of us get to be adults, we are already dissatisfied with our bodies and we already have a lot of concerns about these issues. So I thought, you know, what about prevention? Can we target kids? Can we get them information? Can we tell them 
just something that will help them so that when they're in their 30s or 40s or 50s, they're not worried about this stuff. Why a specific book for boys? You know, boys have been overlooked in this area of work, but they've been overlooked when it comes to mental health issues in general. And that's not because they're not suffering. It has a lot more to do with the fact that they're not communicating what's going on. They haven't been socialized or given the tools to talk about those concerns. And so they're really just kind of suffering in silence. Mm. They tend to get on with things uh, yeah. more than girls do. And that if, if, if you're equipped for that, fine. But some right. some boys aren't. And that's right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, of yeah. course. We want boys to be in touch with themselves, be in touch with their feelings, not just feel like they have to get on with things if they're not, you know, mentally there. Yeah. Um, and we want to offer them the same support and help that we've been trying to offer girls. Not that it always works, of course. Mm. Um, but the pandemic has been a hit on all of our mental health. Yeah. We all need all the help we can get. When you researched girls and boys, did you find differences, similarities, more of either? Yeah, the interesting thing with boys is that when they're concerned about their bodies, they start to do things that many parents and teachers and providers um, consider healthy. They start to go to the gym a lot. They start to exercise a lot. They start to really watch what they're eating and cut out entire food groups. And on the surface, that can seem healthy. But when it becomes a preoccupation, when it becomes something they're really struggling with because they feel like they need to do all these things all the time, then we have a problem. Mm. And I, I don't wish to be sexist in any way, but boys, <laughs> teenage, really late teenage boys, they tend to be, and I say tend, more heavily involved in sports than yes. girls. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. if your son or your brother or your nephew is heavily involved in sport, you think he's quite naturally spending a lot of time in the gym. But maybe look beyond that a little. I would say so. And you know what? It's one thing if you're a professional athlete and that's your job and you are participating in athletics all the time. But that's really the very, very minority of people. Most boys and men will not make it to the pros And we want them to develop a balanced life and good mental health. And they don't need to be obsessing Mm. about every morsel they eat. Yeah. How can parents help or how can they influence? Because again, you have the problem with every every 17-year-old, I think, that ever set foot was thinking that anyone over 30, namely their parents (laughs) who are probably in their 40s, are ancient. And you don't know what... What would you know? You're just so old. How do you how do you bridge that gap and make them realize I am your friend and I do care? I think one of the best things parents can do is to try to set a good example, because like you say, our kids don't always want to engage with us in these conversations. They think that we don't know what we're talking about. But if you set a good example, you're being respectful and careful with your own body. You're not disparaging yourself. You're being physically active, eating reasonably well, and not stressing about these things. That can help a lot. And then, of course, my favorite trick is 
buy a good book and leave it in your kid's room and get them the information they need so that they're not on TikTok learning things we don't want them necessarily to learn. Social media uh, both the greatest (laughs) invention and the worst invention, I think, of all time. But it can be very damaging for body image issues, can't it? Yeah, I'm right there with you. There's a lot of good with social media and connecting people, especially across this pandemic. Um, But we do have to be careful and we want to counter the messaging kids get on social media, which is just often inaccurate when it comes to health issues. So you want to make sure that they have access to good, accurate, evidence-based health information. And they need to be able to come and talk to you and bring you anything. How important is it to make sure your kids know that? I think it's super important. And something I like to say is, listen, there's nothing you can tell me that will make me not love you. Go ahead, you know. And I do try to remind my kids too, who are both teenagers. I was a teenager. I know that was a really long time ago, but there's not a lot you could say that would probably shock me. (laughs) And they kind of look at me like I'm lying, but I think you say it often enough, maybe they'll start to believe you, right? I remember having that conversation. I shoot my daughter one time. I said, do you know, I I do know a bit about being a teenager. I I was one, to which I was saying, that was last century. I said, yeah, but I still was was one. Do you know? (laughs) Yeah. So... Lastly, um, first of all, is the book available online? It's available globally. Where can we order it from? Yeah, it's available at thebodyimagebookforboys.com. It's available on Amazon. It's available at all sorts of bookstores. It comes out officially on Thursday, but it is starting to ship. I know people who've ordered it have already gotten it in the mail. And if you're one of those people who orders it, nothing helps an author more than a review up on Amazon or tell your friend. Um, you know, publishing is is not an easy business these days, so uh, we can use all the support we can get. Yeah, well, the, the 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 review that I love is from the uh, pediatrician in the New York Times bestselling author Karen Anderson said this book is as helpful as it's overdue. I appreciate you speaking to us, Dr. Charlotte Markey, author of that book. Thank you. It's been great being here. Thanks so much. The book's called Being You, the body image book for boys. Must get to that statement from Bruce College. You will remember the point that Mick Barry made on the opinion line last week. Bruce College on their website says, fees are not refundable. No allowance for absenteeism. So COVID and the pressures flowing from COVID are driving the students towards the grind schools. The grind schools are collecting the big bucks and saying, thank you very much. Mm. Are they then saying that if the student has COVID, right, and is protecting their health and their health of the teachers and the students in the school by staying at home, that there's no allowance and they lose all their money? That is, that is scandalous if they are standing over that. It's what's on their website, and I'd like to ask them, do they stand over that? Are they prepared to back down on that one? Well, we did have a look at the website, and it it is there in a a particular form of words. So we asked the principal, uh, Michael Michal Landers, who was away at the time uh, for a statement. They did issue a statement to us, which, to be fair, didn't actually answer the question at hand. Uh, So we went back and asked for a clarification, which we got this morning, And it says, if the course has commenced, the school will not be in a position to refund any absenteeism, including COVID. 
In this case, the school will offer a credit that can be used for any of our courses this year, pre-exam or in the next two years, and also notes for the course. Credit notes are transferable. If there's a reason to be absent due to any other reason within two weeks of the course, the same options will be available. But if a course has commenced, the school will not be in a position to refund any absenteeism, including COVID. Let us... There's a further clarification you could ask, and that is if you get positive for COVID the day before, what happens then? Or two days before, what happens then? But that's the latest we have from Bruce College. 0818 96 96 96. I'm going to be really brief with this before we finish. This is the European Year of Youth. And there are a number of what you might call micro-grants available for youth initiatives. Emma Granger is manager of the strategic initiatives team in Lergus. Emma, good morning. Tell me a bit about European Year of Youth and then about these micro-grants. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for, for having us on. Um, so, yeah, just um, to say the, the European Year of Youth was uh, something that was announced in late 2021 by the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. Um, and really as a as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the disproportionate impact um, that that was having on, on young people across Europe. And um, so it was a year that was set up to, to re-establish a positive outlook for, for European young people. Um, and at EU level, there's lots of different activities happening. At national level, then, we at Lurgis are the, the national coordinators of European Year of Youth with the, the great support of the Department of Children, Quality, Disability, Integration and Youth. Um, and we are one of one of the many activities that we're doing, as well as, as around the country workshops and, and national events. One of the activities that we're hoping to roll out are these micro grants. Um, so we'll have our first deadline on the 15th of April. So it's, it's coming up quite quickly. Um, but after that, then we have another five deadlines. So there's lots of opportunities for uh, for yeah, any groups that work with young people in, in a youth work setting, in a formal education setting, any, uh, any people or any uh, groups of young people themselves to get involved and, and access this uh, very uh, accessible uh, stream of funding that's just available for this year um, yeah. under uh, European Year of Youth. Now, there, there are small to medium mm. to large grants available. At the start, as small as €500. Euro. Who's eligible? Who's eligible? So any... Um, any organisations or groups that work with young people, we really want the, the ideas to be young people driven. So if you're an informal group of young people and you have an idea yourself or something that you want to do uh, around European Year of Youth, around European values, around uh, promoting opportunities for, for other young people, um, you can get in touch with us. We can try link you up with an organisation who might be able to apply on, on your behalf. But in general, I suppose, um, we would see this... Um, the applicants who might take part would be uh, youth work organisations or potentially schools, maybe second level schools as well, applying on behalf of, of groups of young people um, or any, I suppose, organised groups that, that work with young people. It doesn't necessarily have to be strictly youth work or, or yeah. formal education. If you have an idea so that you might be eligible for something, you have an, uh, uh, the yeah. email is eyy at lairgas.ie and literally anyone can email you. Yeah, so it's eyy2022 at lergus.ie. Very, very importantly, I don't think it would get to us otherwise. But, but yeah, definitely email us with any ideas that you might have. Like I said, they're very broad activities. Um, it could be anything, you know, as as small as a photo competition within your school, or you know, it could be like a, a mini music festival. Uh, 
workshops. It could be absolutely anything. So we're really, really open to all all kinds of ideas that might okay. come down the line. Right. And it's 500 to 5,000 euros. Wow. So there is potential there for larger scale activities as well. Good money there. Emma Granger, Manager of Strategic Initiatives in Lergus. EYY 2022 at Lergus, L-E-A-R-G-A-S dot I-E. Thanks for that. Emma, uh, okay, where are we going? Oh, yeah. I've always been a fighter. I think it goes back to, like, I was bullied as a kid. All right, we've got... Oh, the application form is on our Twitter now as well for that. Johnny White is in Wilton. Who is it, Johnny? Uh, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton, unmistakable voice. All right, you're our latest winner today with Blackwater. €250 voucher and possible upgrade on Friday. So uh, enjoy, Johnny. Thanks very much, Colin, from Wilton. We're with Blackwater Motors all week with their annual demo and used car event. And we'll have more of that tomorrow when we are back just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.